Hello, friends. Welcome back to Dying to Heal. Today, we're going to talk more about shame. And in this episode, I share more details about my story and dive into some sensitive topics that you may want to push pause on and listen to later, perhaps when you're not in the car with little ears. But I really hope that you do join me for this very important episode. Welcome back to Dying to Heal, the podcast all about emotional healing and freedom from shame from a gospel perspective. I'm Myra, and I'm so glad that you're joining me today. Today, we are going to dive in a little deeper on the topic of shame. And I want to say right from the beginning that I am by no means an expert on this topic of shame. There are others that are much more learned and well-researched, and today's goal is not to cover the topic exhaustively. Um, But I hope that by sharing my story and more of my experience with shame and some of the lessons that God has taught me, that you will feel encouraged through that. So to share a little bit more about me and my background, I grew up in a rural town in Ohio called Xenia. And I grew up with my parents and my older sister in a home that very much prioritized local church involvement and attendance. Um, I heard about God and I knew about Jesus really from birth. Um, I'm very thankful for that. I went to a Christian school um, for the majority of my elementary and middle school type years and then went to a public high school. Um, but I was very involved with my family in our local church. And from a really early age, I understood that I needed a savior. I recognized my own sin and, and my need for a savior. And I professed faith in Jesus um, from a really young age. Um, I was baptized around age eight. And I'm thankful for a home that was loving and full of uh, the importance of God and his ways and his word. Um, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that upbringing. And because I was born in 1983, I also was growing up in the height of this purity culture movement, which was a response by Christian culture, especially local churches, that pushed back against the sort of sexual revolution that had started a couple decades before. Um, But it was their best attempt to apply biblical truth to the world's sinful understanding and presentation of sex and sexuality. And so some of you might be really familiar with purity culture, um, but even with its best intentions, there were a lot of unhelpful, added, man-centered rules and elements um, that actually kind of presented hurdles (laughs) or blockades to have to climb over a bit um, in our attempt to understand God's really good, beautiful design for sex and sexuality. And so I grew up in that culture where purity was synonymous with virginity and in well-intended attempts to regulate behavior and to prevent young people from experiencing the brokenness of sexual sin, there was this push towards abstinence, of course, but also an inherent vilifying of anything that had to do with um, sexual sin or brokenness. And on the surface, that seems really good because sin is painful. Sin leads to death. The Bible is very clear about that. 
But what purity culture didn't take into account was kids like me who had experienced sexual abuse early in life. And we were left feeling broken and not really having any Jesus-centered truth to cling to in the face of that reality. So my parents didn't know anything about the sexual abuse that had happened to me. I was very young, around age five or six, and a male, same-aged first cousin of mine sexually abused me, and I had absolutely no information or tools to grab onto in the face of that abuse happening. So a part of the culture within the church and in my own home regarding sex and sexuality was silence and a bit of inherent embarrassment, not really knowing how to talk about our bodies, not giving the medical names or terms for parts, not talking about safe touch and unsafe touch, not explaining things like the secrecy that is so common with this type of abuse. And so we would leave our home in Ohio every Christmas and go and visit our family on my dad's side down in Miami, Florida. And my cousin lived there with our grandmother and he undoubtedly had been exposed to extremely hurtful things, either abuse himself or the wounding through pornography exposure at such a young age. I don't know his story. I don't know what he had lived through, but he invited me to come into our grandmother's room and go under the bed and play a game. And under that bed, um, he groped me. And again, I had no understanding of what was happening. Um, I think a lot of natural questions are, why wouldn't you just run away? Why wouldn't you yell out? Why wouldn't you scream? Why wouldn't you fight him? And part of my hope for this podcast is that if you have experienced anything like this, you will be able to hear someone say that it's not your fault, that it is understandable when put in that situation to not fight or flee, but rather to freeze. And that is a third coping mechanism that God has hardwired into our brains. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to process what was happening to me. Sexual abuse by nature is so intrusive. It just tramples on the natural boundaries that God has designed. It kicks down the door of agency and autonomy and it invades. It's so invasive. And I didn't, I didn't have language for the part of me that had been touched. Um, and he explicitly said, this is our secret. If you tell anyone, we'll both be in really big trouble. That secrecy immediately was a part of what was happening. And shame was also immediately a part of what was happening. I felt dirty and shameful. I felt culpable. I felt guilty. I didn't have a grid in my little childhood brain to be able to understand he just did something really, really bad to me. And my parents who love me so much will help me. I didn't have that framework. I had, I'm going to be in huge trouble. And so if you're listening and you're a parent Maybe God wants us to make sure that we're receiving healing for any shame-filled areas in our hearts, and He wants us to be able to give to our children that very foundational grid 
that when they're in trouble of any kind, sin chosen by them or sin chosen over them, that first and foremost, they have a heavenly father who loves them and that they can run to him and through Jesus not be rejected and that they can come to us. And so we've talked about this from really early on and often with our kids, that they will not be in trouble, that they may have to face natural consequences. This is for something other than sexual sin done against them. Let me be clear. As they choose other sins, we want them to run to us. We want their heart to quickly beat in this rhythm of, I am loved and I can reach out for help. I am loved and I can confess my sin. I am loved and I can point out the sins of others. And I will be helped, not shamed or rejected. And so this happened to me at a really early age. I didn't tell anyone. I locked the secret inside because I believed that I was equally culpable right from the beginning. And I wanted to just sort of leave that behind and leave that in Florida, return to my life in Ohio um, and not ever have to speak of it. But we would go back and visit that side of the family every year for a while. Um, And once it had happened one time, um, it was mind boggling. I understand how, how ridiculous it seems and confusing it seems, but it would happen again and again. And I felt helpless in the face of it. I felt resigned to this. I would do my best to avoid playing with him. I remember he, he would kind of Uh, try and initiate that type of quote unquote play, which is sexual abuse. And I want to speak more to that in a minute. And I would sort of just try and avoid his gaze. I remember trying my best to not go and play with him, but I feel like I couldn't confront it head on. I just literally didn't have the ability. And part of my emotional healing, part of my healing journey has been recognizing that and realizing that that's okay and understandable. You know, part of EMDR includes a lot of visualization work and looking at that six-year-old child and understanding how and why she didn't respond any differently than she did and hugging her, (laughs) just imagining adult me hugging child me. And if you've never been through it, I can understand how that sounds pretty kooky, but it was important in my healing journey. So I recognize now that back then I handled it the very best I could, but I also can look back and see how shame so quickly invaded and latched on in my heart. And what God has shown me is that shame is this deep, pervasive belief that because of something you've done or something that other people have done to you, you are less valuable. You are less desirable that because of these things that have happened that have made you that way, you must hide it from others in order to be accepted. All of that is encompassed in feelings of shame. It really is a a brokenness and a a woundedness that changes how we see ourselves and how we see others and how we see God. And so it's a really big deal, but so often we live with it, maybe even not yet recognizing or understanding the ways that it does impact us in our day-to-day functioning. Or maybe we recognize it and we know that we struggle with shame, but we don't know what to do about it or how to change it. 
I also wanted to take just a second and talk about the definition of sexual abuse and discuss together a little bit this phenomenon that seemed to happen um, quite frequently. I think the research and data shows that it is heartbreakingly common that children have experienced sexual abuse of some kind in their life. And as I've talked with women, um, especially women older than me, I have discovered that they too have lived through sexual abuse, usually at the hands of a peer um, or maybe someone older, but they didn't acknowledge it as such. They never, they didn't have the tools or, or ability to, to understand that what happened to them was sexual abuse. And I think part of that is the language that we use to talk about this topic. And I'm thankful for the advancements and the growth in this area as years have gone on. And I think it's really important as Christ followers to understand it from a biblical lens and be able to talk about it in a way that shines the appropriate amount of light on it and also stays faithful to scripture. And so when I say that I experienced sexual abuse, I am operating from the definition that sexual abuse is any sexual activity that occurs without consent, any. And I think what's happened is when a same aged peer, whether it's a family member or a friend, has groped and touched the genitals of another child, they feel like, well, that was just play or that was just exploring. It wasn't sexual abuse because it wasn't someone older than me. um, Or I mean, I wasn't like tied down. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't rape like that, but it's really important that we understand any touch, any sexual activity. And also there's non-contact sexual abuse, things like flashing, showing genitals, showing a child pornography, um, things that happen online. That is still sexual abuse because it's any sexual activity that occurs without consent. And so I think it's really important to first rightly identify and understand things that have happened to us. That is an extremely important part of emotional healing. You know, we go to the doctor and we hope and expect that they're able to rightly diagnose what we're experiencing so that then we can form a valid and helpful treatment plan, right? And so it's really important to start if you have experienced anything like this and you've just locked it away, you thought, well, that's just what kids do. That was just boys being boys or that was just how how kids are exploring each other's bodies but you didn't give consent and you felt violated and and your genitals were touched or any part any part of you was touched or groped in a sexual way and you feel shame and you've kept it a secret please know that god has healing available for you that he is calling you to bring that into the light talk to a trusted friend or family member or a counselor and Understand that you don't have to just carry that in silence anymore. And that type of touch is not normal play for children. It's really important that we understand that as adults and we're able to communicate that to our children, not to shame them, but to expose and bring into the light things that the enemy wants kept in the dark. 
So the sexual abuse happened to me at a really early age. I went back to my normal life, so to speak, in Ohio and just locked the secret away. And I continued that pattern. Um, and where I turned to for solace and for help was performance, just performance-based righteousness. I just so badly wanted to be well-behaved enough and be popular enough and be smart enough and good enough, quote unquote, in any realm to outweigh this feeling in deep inside of me, the secret feeling of not being good enough, of being broken. And, you know, I mentioned purity culture before, and they tried to use uh, analogies and um, comparisons to help young people understand the importance of purity, which again was synonymous with virginity. And so one of them was this idea of fine china. You know, you are this fine china. And once you give away your purity, it's broken and it can't ever go back to the way it was before. And I grew up with this, with this language, hearing these things. And I knew deep down, I was already broken. I was broken China, but I couldn't let anyone know. And so I had to do my best to live shiny and clean and put together. And so what that looked like was an absolute refusal to confess sin? How could I let people know what I was struggling with uh, when my survival depended on their acceptance, right? Because I didn't have that gospel grid yet. The gospel truth that it is not our righteousness, that it's Christ's righteousness alone that earns our right standing with God, that covers us completely, that atones for our sin, takes care of it all. I didn't have that yet. Even though I believed in God, I had heard the basics of the gospel. I wanted to be saved. I wanted to go to heaven when I died. I was baptized and I lived as a Christian. But deep down in my heart, I believed I was broken and that the solution was performance. So I was living with this sort of self-righteousness and That led to hiding my sin instead of understanding that God gave us the gift of confession and and community to come around us. uh, I didn't have that yet. And so as I grew, did well in school, excelled in lots of areas, um, I was also developing a pattern of duplicity and dishonesty. And so I can look back and see these patterns of hiding that really continued for the majority of my life. You know, once I had met my husband, Andrew, and we'd gotten married and we were early married. He didn't know anything about my abuse. Um, I can look back and see little silly things that I would hide from him because I had such a habit of hiding. And that is one thing that shame does. It lies to us and we believe that we have to hide And that is such a crippling element in the life of a Christian. And it is so detrimental to our emotional healing because it is by bringing things into the light. It is by, by speaking them out loud and, and sharing with others our struggles. That is how we find freedom and we find help. God made it that way. And so I believed I had to hide my sin, hide things that I believed were shameful and just work hard enough uh, in other areas to gain people's approval of me. So shame brought about this pattern of hiding and really this feeling like I was living a double life, right? Like I had this life that was visible to the outside and then stuff I knew that was going on in my heart on the inside. And another element of that double life was struggling with sexual sin. 
it doesn't take a rocket scientist to connect these dots, right, friends? Like I experienced sexual abuse and I had no healthy grid or framework for God's design for sex and sexuality. And ergo, (laughs) I struggled with sexual sin in my own life. And because I also believed I had to hide and present this very put together front, that secret sin continued to grow. And that is part of God's design for all of humanity. He wants us to operate in truth and in the light and to confess our sin. And he's given us the gift of other redeemed image bearers, other people who understand the gospel and understand their need for Christ alone and are able to walk with us through our sin. I didn't have that. And so when I was a sophomore in college, I'd already been dating Andrew for a little while. We started dating our first year of college. I stumbled onto pornography and it was on late night television. This was sort of pre-cell phone days and I was instantly hooked because of the abuse I had already endured and the pattern of secrecy and hiding that was already well in place in my life. Once I had viewed pornography and had that brain chemical reaction to solo sex while viewing it, it felt like an instant addiction. This is part of why I tell my story, friends, because I have experienced the deliverance from that cyclical sin I know what it feels like to believe that you will never be free from something. I used to believe that. I used to literally believe I'll never be free from this. I am so enmeshed in this sin. I am so entrenched. I can't foresee a way of living free from this. But God, but God, he did it. And he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. And I want that so badly for everyone who feels stuck in sin of any kind, any addiction, any shame-filled pattern of, of broken behavior that you hate, but you feel like you can't get out of it. I want you free from it because I have experienced it and God wants it for you even more. And he has every resource to bring it about for you. And so I lived hiding this pattern of sinful behavior, of brokenness in my life. And by God's grace, He brought me out of it. And I'll kind of recap a little bit of that process for me. Again, not because it's what it has to look like for you, but hopefully it just feels encouraging as you hear what what God loves to do for his children, which is set us free and heal us of our wounds and our brokenness. You know, Andrew and I met the very first year of college at a Christian university, and I had never told anyone at that point about what had happened to me in my childhood. No one. And I believed I never would. And that's what shame does. I continue to lack a gospel grid for my body and for sexuality. And so another outworking of the purity culture movement, I think, was this where is the line and how close to the line can we get type of mentality. And so the goal was virginity. And so the naturally sinful hearts can become very creative with ways to entertain sin and not kill it completely. And so because I didn't have an understanding of God's design for sex and sexuality, and I wasn't looking to Christ as the goal, I was looking to virginity as the goal, then there were seasons of walking through sexual sin 
with my husband before we were married, uh, but being able to say, well, technically we haven't crossed that line, right? But my heart was pointed at myself, at, at physical pleasure, at being desirable, again, operating out of this deep longing to be loved and accepted and not understanding that I already was. And so that led to patterns of behavior uh, that were not God honoring in our dating and our engagement. But we could say we technically <laughs> had, had kept the rules, right? And so after getting married, when we were all of a sudden allowed, quote unquote, to have sex, I still was battling shame. I still was battling the cycle of sin regarding pornography and solo sex. And so was my husband and we didn't talk to each other about it. And I still hadn't told anyone about the sexual abuse I had endured in childhood. And so I remember being at my computer. We had this little garden apartment, they called it. It was like the lower level. Um, And I remember having this big desktop Dell computer and I was in grad school and my husband was working full time. And I can remember one night while he was still at work and I was in our apartment engaging in the sin of viewing pornography and I was seeking it out. I was actively like living in addiction, it felt like. I remember feeling like Jesus just showed up in my apartment and walked right up to me sitting at facing that computer and I didn't see him physically with my eyes. It was just this moment of my heart being overwhelmed, like my mind's eye, so to speak, just being filled with an image of him drawing near to me. And what that did, friends, is it flew in the face of the lie that I had been believing that God separated himself from me in disgust when I chose sin that he looked away, somehow he couldn't see what I was doing. And then I would just need to work my way back to him afterwards, right? I would need to grovel enough or pay penance enough to get to him after I chose to engage in this sin. But Jesus proved that wrong by coming after me, showing up and overwhelming my heart with a sense of his presence. He was showing me that he is not far off that he was so near to me and he was drawing me away from that broken cistern, from that disgusting toilet water that I was settling for, searching for something to quench my thirst, right? And he was showing me that he had better for me. And I just remember specifically being overwhelmed with the thought of his hands reaching out toward me. And he was showing me in that moment that the sin that he atoned for on the cross included the one that I was picking over him right in that moment. He was showing me that the torture he endured to satisfy the wrath rightly due towards sin included both what I was choosing right then on the computer and it included what had been done to me when I was a kid. And he was showing me that he had healing available to me. He was coming for me. And I'm forever grateful for that moment. And that really started my journey towards healing and freedom from shame. You know, I didn't get up from that computer chair totally healed. I didn't 
get up free from the struggle against pornography and solo sex, but something extremely important had happened, and it was God's gracious correction of my faulty theology. It was so important that he showed me the truth about who he is and how he felt toward me. That had to change first. I wasn't broken, China. I was his beloved daughter for whom he took those nails. I was his beloved child, and he was calling me away from the brokenness and the sin that I felt trapped in. He was doing the freeing work, and he was showing me the fullness of what he had already accomplished on my behalf. I had understood it at age eight that I needed a savior. I wanted to be baptized, and I wanted to follow him. But he had to show me in that apartment exactly what had happened on the cross. And it was that he had a hundred percent atoned for and covered every single sin done against me and chosen by me from the day I first drew breath to the day I die. Every single sin was covered. And I really had to understand that. And I had to let go of this idea that I needed to do the healing work on my own. I needed to do the cleaning up on my own, that I had to take all those fragments of fine china and hot glue them together to try and make something presentable. You know, I've heard analogies about mosaics and how God takes these broken pieces and crafts them into this beautiful stained glass window. And I, I do love that. It is, it is beautiful sentiment. Um, but the truth is, we're not broken pieces of glass on the floor. We're not broken pieces of fine china. The truth is that we are whole image bearers created by him, knit together in the womb for specific purposes that will glorify him. And we're made for relationship with him. We were made to know and love and enjoy God. All things were created for him, by him and through him so that he gets the glory from them. That's the truth. We are whole beings. And apart from Jesus, Unless we fully put our faith in him alone, we are whole dead image bearers. We are spiritually dead apart from Christ. There is no we go 90% and we just need him to come the last 10%. No, friends. If you have not yet put your faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then you are whole, but you are spiritually dead. And he wants to bring you life. He wants to redeem you. He wants to redeem every part of your story and use it for his glory. And you find joy there. You find life there. So God began a beautiful journey there in my apartment. And you know what? I realize now it started way before that. (laughs) I'm literally realizing that as I say it, you guys, it started way before that because his word says that he knows us. He foreknew us from the foundation of the world. So he knew me and he decided to save me, not because of me, not because of anything I did or would do, but because he's so good. So uh, I'll just call it a pivotal moment in my healing journey was that experience in my apartment. And from there, he used many different things, most of which were just really hard and awkward conversations. The first one I had was with Andrew. 
all by God's grace, he allowed us to begin to really be honest with each other. And I remember the first time I told him about what had happened to me with my cousin when I was a kid, he physically wrapped a blanket around me and he showed me the gospel. He enacted it through his words and his, his actions and his unfailing love toward me. And God used that in a massive way in my healing. And he made our marriage stronger because of it. So when you feel afraid, friends, when you feel afraid to bring into light that shameful thing, because you have believed for so long that exposing the truth will cause others to reject you, please take my word for it and take that scary step of of speaking it out loud to someone. And I cannot guarantee that the person you tell will respond with the gospel. I pray that they do. I hope that they do. And if you're someone that someone else confesses to, please be that safe person that loves them unconditionally and reminds them of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are accepted and loved fully and completely. But I can't guarantee that that's how it'll play out. But I can guarantee you that the God of heaven, the God who has created everything and is holding all things together by the power of his word, loves you like that, loves you completely, loves every part of you. And he accepts you. He chooses you. Put your trust in him and take that scary step into the light. Talking to him is so important. And I mentioned on the last episode how the gospel changes what we think about prayer and how we approach prayer and how it's such an important part of our emotional healing. But talking to him in prayer and confessing it out loud to someone you trust is an extremely important first step in freedom from shame. And from there, God brought various things into my life, sermons, I remember hearing a Matt Chandler sermon where he contrasted religion and the gospel. And it was like new and exciting to me. And the first time I watched a John Piper sermon online and hearing him talk about the life and the beauty in Christ and the joy that is available to us and this life of fullness available in Jesus, it was so different from what I had been living with and believing in while I operated in shame. You know, books that God brought into my life and biblical counseling that he allowed Andrew and I to go to. So many things along life's path that he has brought that has continued to help me live free from shame. But first and foremost is himself, the work of the spirit in me, all by his grace, his word that he has taught me how to study and how to understand his people through his local church. All the things I mentioned on the last episode that are pivotal in the life of a believer as we walk towards emotional healing are equally important as we live free from shame. It is a part of our sanctification and it is a mindset shift. And another really pivotal work that God has done in my heart is around this idea of identity. And we're going to explore that in a future episode, but I'll just say that reading Ephesians 1 and 2 and soaking in all of those truths about who we are, our identity when we are in Christ was so important for me. And that was the first homework assignment that our biblical counselor gave us when we had started going to biblical counseling as a couple. 
you know, we had two young kids and I remember writing on the intake form that we just needed help with our communication. (laughs) But God, but God knew what was really going on deep in my heart. And he knew how much I needed freedom from shame and how much it had impacted my identity and how much better he had available for me. And so reading Ephesians 1 and 2 and writing out all the identity truths that it says about who we are when we are in Christ, that was so important in my, in my healing journey and my freedom from shame. So I recommend that to anyone. If you've never done that yet, go read Ephesians 1 and 2. Read what God says is true for those who are in Christ. And he has continued that gracious and faithful work in my life up to this day. And he will until I draw my last breath. We don't arrive. We are never perfect and fully healed this side of heaven, but God is faithful and he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. He has every single thing you need for this journey. And I pray that you take that first courageous step by sharing bringing into the light, speaking out loud, something that you have locked deep in your heart as a secret, and it still impacts you with shame. Let me pray for us as we close today, friends. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus and the freeing, amazing work that he did through his perfect life obeying you perfectly in every action and heart motive and thought, something we will never be able to do, Lord. Thank you for his death on the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing that in the garden when you were praying, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Thank you for choosing that cup, choosing to see it through and drinking it to the dregs, the wrath, the cup full of God's wrath, rightful wrath towards sin, my sin. Thank you for seeing it through so that we could be set free. Thank you, God, for your work in raising Christ from the dead through your spirit, for defeating death and showing us that every promise will come true, that there is nothing more powerful than you, not death itself, and certainly not shame. Thank you, Jesus, that you have crushed the head of the serpent, that one day he will be finished forever. And in the meantime, you preserve your people. You protect us and you heal us and you renew us and you take every hurtful, sinful, damaging thing that we've ever experienced and you heal and you turn it for your good purposes. Thank you, God. God, I pray for all of my friends who are listening, who I hope to meet in person someday and who I may never meet this side of heaven. God, you know them. I pray for them in their journey away from shame and towards health and freedom in you. Help us, Lord Jesus. Show us our dependence and help us wait on your good timing as you work in us. We praise you, Lord. We love you. In your name, amen. Amen.